Let's go Golden State Warriors. Amen. We needed all the prayer and intercession uh, uh, last week, right? Or not last week, but when did we start? Was it two, Monday? Um, and so uh, we thank God. I believe the spirit was at work when J.R. Smith ran the wrong way. Um, it's the only way to explain it. Well, there's other ways I can explain it with that guy. But, um, but for those of you who are faithful to the dubs, we're just praying that the Lord would give us another victory this year. Um, but I don't think the Lord does that because that's cheating. But nonetheless... Um, I got a couple of things I want to do. Number one, um, I don't do this for everybody, but you'll understand why this is special to me. It's my mom's birthday today. And so, mama, why don't you stand up? Okay, she got a cake, doing a little twirl. And again, there may be some of you say, well, you didn't call me up for my birthday. I'm like, well, yeah, you're not my mama. That's different. <laughs> but, I, but I love you guys anyways. Mama, I love you. So blessed, so blessed that... Um, I, just a million things, million reasons why I'm so blessed, but I love you so much, and I'm grateful. And then right next to her, Grandma is home. Oh, you want to stand up? Go ahead, girl. You can stand up and twist and twirl, too. For those of you that don't know Grandma, she is sweet and amazing, and she is a part of our family, and she has uh, been missing for a while because she's got, she had some foot. She had, she broke foot. And so, uh, so she's here today, and she's twirling, praise God. And so the Lord is good. We love you so much. So good to see you here. We miss you so much. That's your seat. We wouldn't even let anybody sit there. <laughs> uh, but good to see you. So um, let's do this. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, um, verse 42. Uh, we're going to continue where I left off last week. Um, and as you're opening there, I'm just going to make a couple of introductory comments. Um, most people love the idea of summer. Are there any summer lovers in here? Yeah. Are there any summer haters in here? There might be a few of you in here. Oh, okay, some summer haters. Praise the Lord for you. Um, but, I, but I like to think that most people love the idea of summer. Why? Longer days, right? Uh, warmer weather. Some of you don't like that. Um, and opportunities, right, to make lasting memories with your children who are on their summer vacation. And some of you feel like, well, I wish they were back at school. Uh, but for the most part, I would say that Americans like the idea of summer, but if we're being honest, sometimes summer um, could feel maybe a little more like this. And so let's check this out. Last summer, we did our first big family vacation. Well, I should clarify. <laughs> Last summer, we did our first big family vacation. Well, I should clarify, we went to Disney. Now, if you haven't been to Disney as an adult, just imagine you're standing in line at the DMV. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> Actually, it was Orlando in July, so it was kind of like standing in line on the surface of the sun. <laughs> Why would we do this to ourselves? Remember when you were a kid and you'd go on vacation, you'd be like, Why is Dad always in a bad mood? <laughs> now I understand. How can I spend an enormous amount of money, be uncomfortable, and listen to my children complain and whine? Disney! Oh, good! I did figure out what makes Disney truly magical, though. You can walk around sweating for 12 hours and still gain weight. I know it's 110 out here, but these fries taste great! 
We eat, you know, because we want to have a good time. Really, that's all a vacation is. Just us eating in a place we've never been. <laughs> well, why don't we eat something, then we'll go and get something to eat. <laughs> and we'll see that thing we're supposed to see. They probably got a snack bar there, right? <laughs> After that, we should probably get something to eat, though. <laughs> then we'll eat something. <laughs> we eat because, you know, there's pressure to have fun on your vacation. Right? But at Disney, it's like a desperation. You see it on the faces of parents. They're like, oh, this was an enormous mistake. I hope you're having fun. It was either this or send you to college. I stood in line for an hour and 15 minutes for the Dumbo ride. After a minute, I was like, I'm the Dumbo. I'm waiting to see myself. At the end of the line, there's just going to be a mirror and some guy going, Dumbo. <laughs> some of those rides at Disney, they make you realize how far we've come with amusement parks. Like, I was on that ride, It's a Small World. I was like, wow, there was a time when people found this entertaining? <laughs> you could be on acid, you're like, I'm not getting anything here. <laughs> I think I'll go back to staring at my hand. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> Only I had two of these. Because a lot of those rides at Disney, they were developed in the 70s. There was no competition. They were making up rides. It was just some guy going, all right, how about uh, a bumper car goes into a dark room and there's a picture of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> People stand in line for an hour for that, right? Ooh, here I got another one. What if we hollow out a log and throw them over a waterfall? We got their money, what are they gonna do? <laughs> I have to admit, my favorite ride was the air-conditioned bus back to the airport. Ooh, well worth the wait. Hey, if you don't like Disney, well then why would you go? I went because I love my children, you know? Now there are adults without children that go to Disney and they're called weirdos. Very nice people, absolutely crazy. Even the Comic-Con people are like, yeah, they're a little frightening. <laughs> I mean, I got a Batman living room, but these people are scary. Wow. As I, uh, as I look in the crowd, I recognize some adults that go to Disney. You are not laughing. So on behalf of Inspired Church, I want you to know I apologize. Um... You know, summer in Disneyland, they're not that bad, right? Uh, you know, they're not that bad. I enjoy Disneyland, but you get the point. And as we talked about last week, you know, we're getting into this mini-series called Summer Break. And really the whole motivation behind Summer Break is really kind of just to simply remind you not to allow the vacation culture to affect the next steps of your faith. Um, my prayer um, has been that as we plan um, for the summer that we'd plan with the same excitement and enthusiasm for our discipleship. Uh, my hope for all of you is that uh, we'd be inspired to experience some of our greatest victories and some of our greatest growth in Christ this summer. And so can I pray that over you before we get in the message this morning? Father, summer is exciting for some, maybe for others not so much. But nonetheless, I pray that 
Inspire Church and every member here and those that are visiting with us will look forward to this summer as being a time of victory and breakthrough and the next step of their faith. That they would look back at the summer of 2018 and say that was when I maximized my growth in my faith and with Christ. Um, and so I just pray that you would bless and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, if you remember, we challenged you, didn't we? We challenged you to become more devoted to the scriptures this summer. And we answered three key questions. Why should I read the Bible? How do I study the Bible? And where do I even start? And so if you're in here today and maybe you missed last week or maybe you just want to go back because this summer you want to learn to read the scriptures, I want to encourage you to go back to our podcast and check that out. I think it will really help you get a head start. Today, I want to challenge you to become more devoted to fellowship this summer. I want to challenge you that you would break in summer break, right? That you would break in the studying of scriptures this summer. But I want to challenge some of you in here, well, all of you in here, that you would break in a devotion uh, to fellowship this summer. So if you have your Bibles, we'll also put it up here for you. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verse 42 through 47. Everyone cool? Feels good in here? I think it feels good for me, but just making sure for you. Uh, Verse 42 through 47 of Acts 2, it reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? That's the New Testament. And the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Make note of that word. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. I love that. They went to church. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of of a healthy, growing church. Amen? I feel like if you're going to build a church and you're going to use any scriptures in the entire canon of scripture, it's going to be these right here. Um, Now, In response to this beautiful picture of a growing church uh, in the early uh, church history, um, one pastor quoted and remarked this. This is what he said. Listen, when the early believers converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit them into the margins of their busy lives. They redefined themselves around a new immovable center. He was not an optional weekend activity along with the kids' soccer practices. They put him and his church and his cause first in their hearts, first in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, first in their lives. They devoted themselves. The American church has a bit of a problem, don't we? I remember 
Uh, it was the week before we launched Inspire Church, okay? So it was about a week before we actually launched this church. Um, and I remember I was in a drive-thru ATM, typically, right? We're all busy. Everything's a drive-thru now, right? Uh, I was in a drive-thru ATM, and I came across um, uh, a bumper sticker um, in an SUV that read this. We can't. Maddie has dance. <laughs> it's funny. You can laugh. In other words, here's what the bumper sticker was saying. You know, as parents, we're too busy to accept any invitations. Although we'd like to come, please forgive us because our children take priority in their extracurricular activities. Now, hear my heart. I am not interested in preaching a message that condemns T-ball today, okay? I love T-ball. I played T-ball. I love sports. I think our children should be involved in extracurricular activities, so please don't get me wrong. I find it to be healthy and wonderful. But when I saw that bumper sticker, I had to take a picture because it reminded me of the difficult task we have as a church trying to reach and disciple a culture that's too busy. Amen? It reminded me that if we're going to plant a church in the Bay Area, especially, that we are going to have a difficult task of trying to disciple Christians into what Christians should be doing and trying to convince non-Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit to jump into discipleship. It's just going to be difficult. And so last week, I shared a tension with you. You remember that? I shared that internal turmoil I had. Uh, this week, I want to share another tension I have as a pastor of this church. Even though the bay is busy and transient, the church must remain hospitable and permanent. In fact, I, I, I think one of our brothers, I just seen it, uh, post, Oscar, I see you post today, and it's so true. People are leaving the Bay Area. Right? I think it was like 56% of people that live in the Bay Area are leaving the Bay because one reason or another, but obviously we know the biggest reason is we can't afford to stay. So even though the Bay is busy and transient and some people are leaving, some people are coming in, inspire church. And not you. Some of you may be planning to leave and God is calling you to leave. Praise God. But the tension that I wrestle with in this church is as the Bay is busy and transient, we as a church must remain permanent and hospitable. If community is going to remain a core value of ours, I remember I told you our three is, is uh, theology, community, and mission. If community, if we're going to have to, if we're, community is going to be a core value of ours as a church, we're going to have to break out of those patterns and routines that hinder us from cultivating genuine relationships with one another. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and talking is cheap, and we need to action this, and it's going to take some time, but can I tell you something? People aren't looking for a friendly church, they're looking for friends from church. <sighs> I know that's tough, guys, right? People aren't looking for it, and so, so people say, wow, that church is so friendly. I walked in, everyone said hi to me. Oh, my goodness, from the moment I parked to the t time I got in, they're intentional with their guests. They're just so warm and so friendly, and that's something I feel like we do well here. And I feel like God has continued to grow us in that area, and I don't ever want that to stop. Even, I want to tell you a little secret. Even those that serve, they come in at 745 every Sunday morning. They set everything up, and they're prepared to receive and greet. They don't even park up there anymore. Do you know that? That's intentional because we want to save the best parking for our guests. 
And so they park around the corner and they walk their kids and they come in early. And I'm not saying that to get, I just want you to know that we want to cultivate a community that makes it comfortable for guests to come and visit and be a part of our, be a part of what we're doing. Amen. And so I think we do really well at that. Here's the area that I think is difficult is that people just, it's a friendly church is great. But after you've been here a couple of months, you want a friend. Some of us are. Some of us, our spiritual lives depend on being able to connect with other believers because if we're not, then we're going to fall into the temptation of going with our other unbeliever friends. And we get caught up in old patterns and habits. And so this is my tension in a culture, <laughs> in a culture where you can live 10 years in a neighborhood and never know your neighbor's name. Come on. Come on, Barry, folks. How long have you been living in your neighborhood? You don't even know your person next to you in your apartment. You don't even want to know them, right? And then in some cultures, right, and I was talking to some of you moving to Texas, and, you know, you're there for one week, and you've already had dinner at three different houses. The Bay Area is different. It's different. So in a culture where you can live 10 years in the same place and not know your neighbor's name, inspired church will have to become countercultural if we're going to do everything that God's calling us to do. I didn't think I'd get a lot of hand claps. If you're a member of this church, man, I want you clapping your hand because... You know, if you're not and you're just visiting, you could just listen. But if you're a member of this church, this is what we're trying to do. And it's difficult. It's difficult. And so if we're going to accomplish countercultural community, as I'm, as I'm calling it, Inspired Church is going to have to learn from the early church and remain devoted to koinonia. Will you say that with me? Say koinonia. Koinonia. So what is koinonia? Well, I just realized that somebody won the spelling bee by spelling koinonia the other day. I think it was like three days ago, the championships. I don't think it was like middle schoolers. I, I don't know. I think it was a she. I think it was a her. She spelt koinonia and won it all. And so, um, so, yeah, look at me being relevant by accident. So what is koinonia? Because that's the Greek word. And remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so if we want to study the word, we want to go and see what the original word was used there. What is koinonia? Well, the English translation is fellowship. Will you say fellowship with me? Fellowship. But unfortunately, that word has become entirely too churchy, amen? What do I mean by a churchy word? You ever know what a churchy word is? You got a bunch of people speaking their churchy language. God bless you, brother and sister, right? You know, and uh, uh, praise the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. Those are all great words, but people from the outside are like, I have no clue what you're saying. Sounds a little cultish to me, <laughs> right? Everyone's a brother and sister there, <laughs> Right? And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the churchy language. But I think fellowship has become a little too churchy for us. In the midst of all these good intentions, well, let me just explain this. We got fellowship groups, amen? We got men's fellowship. We got women's fellowship. We got fellowship nights. We've even built fellowship halls. But in the midst of all these good intentions, sometimes we can lose the sacredness and the weightiness of the word. And if we're being completely honest... I even think the shallowness by which we use the word only reflects the shallowness of how we desire to participate in it. We don't want it to mean anything differently. We don't have time for it to mean anything different, yet koinonia still calls us to something greater than we've made it. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about elements that characterize a countercultural community in our church. And so we're going to talk about three, and we're going to finish and land there. Amen? So here are three. If you're taking notes, I'm going to cover these three areas uh, 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 that create a countercultural community in the Bay Area at Inspire Church. 
Number one is this. Koinonia is uncommon connection. (laughs) Number two. Genuine communication. And number three, sacrificial contribution. Put your seatbelts on this morning. If you're just visiting, you could just sit and love it all. But you know, I'm, this series is a little more challenging. We got out of champion series. Yeah, Jesus. Now we're getting into back into, oh, he's back. He's back. I thought he was going good for a little bit. So I want to talk about koinonia calls us to uncommon connection. Now, will you agree with me? Our natural tendency is to move towards people we have a lot in common with, right? It's crazy because I can spend five hours with someone I have a lot in common with and walk away feeling energized. Anybody here? Like, I could spend time with somebody I have a lot in common with and walk away and feel energized. At the same time, I can spend one hour with someone I don't have anything in common with, and I feel like I've spent the whole day. I am drained. Like, you know, awkward conversations just drain your energy, right? I think about it having commonalities. Maybe you've never met someone before. You guys are just chilling. Um, but if you have something in common, it's like, hey, man, what's up? What's up? You like the Warriors? Yeah. Do you see that game the other day? Yeah, wasn't that crazy what happened? Yeah, LeBron scored 51. Right, and all of a sudden you're going in and you found a commonality. But if you've ever tried to have a conversation with someone you don't have a lot in common with, it's just like pulling teeth. It's so difficult. Um, You know, uncommon connection calls us to lay down our personal preferences, um, to move outside of our preferred tribes and connect with other believers that may not look or sound, or talk, or even be in this, interested in the same things as you. Can I just say something? Some of us in this room are Pentecostals. And we get so hung up, before you say amen, I want you to hear. We get so hung up on tongues being the initial evidence by which we know the Holy Spirit was active in the church. But I think another powerful evidence that we can see the Holy Spirit at work in a church is when people with little in common share everything. People with little in common share everything. Now, as I was thinking through this thought, I was reminded Something that's said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Stay with me. I want you to see this. It says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Are you ready for this? Or what koinonia has light with darkness? Now, let me explain what's going on. Here's the truth. There are still some in here today that connect better with unbelievers than you do with your fellow followers in Christ. Maybe this summer it's time to change that. And I want, can I give you a gentle rebuke? Some of us are in perpetual spiritual immaturity because we haven't studied scripture. 
while others are in perpetual spiritual immaturity because they've distanced themselves from uncommon community. And I am not saying don't be friends with a non-believer. Be friends. Love them. How else will they see Jesus? Have a great time with them. But what I am saying is this. Is there some of you that have more fellowship with your unbelieving friends than you do with the people that you attend church with as followers of Christ? That is a problem. And you will remain in perpetual spiritual immaturity until you learn to come together in that way. Uncommon connection is not based on our personal preferences, but it's based on our mutual faith and new life in Christ. It's in that place where we'll find our biggest growth this summer. You might say, I have more in common with this person who's a non-believer than I do with this person who's a believer, but you have Christ in common, and that is enough. And sometimes you will be conformed to the image of God when you meet with somebody who doesn't think like you more than when you sit with people who think like you. Are you with me? Secondly, so I talked about koinonia calls us to uncommon connection. Secondly, koinonia calls us to genuine communication. What do I mean by that? Mistrust is the enemy of koinonia. Whatever it is that is stopping you from regularly participating in a corporate context is literally robbing you from experiencing the overwhelming blessing of the body of Christ. It could be fear of getting hurt. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by a church. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by people in the church. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by pastors and leaders in the church. So it could be a fear that you have of being hurt. It could be a fear of being betrayed. Maybe rumors have spread about you in the past. There are all sorts of reasons why we hold ourselves back from intimacy with other believers. Intimacy, what I mean by that is heart exchange. A sharing of your heart. We hold back from those things because we possibly carry over into our now season something that happened in our past season. But can I just say this? We cannot grow. We cannot heal. We cannot experience the fullness of Christ's body unless we learn to trust again. Holding back is never God's plan for your life. Now, can I just, encouragement, everyone loves to be encouraged. Words of affirmation, people, are you in here? You love to be, you love just people to come up and say, hey, man, that's a great job. As a pastor, I try, you know, I don't want it to get to my head. I don't use it as pride. But when someone texts me or someone comes up to me and says, hey, you did a great job, you know, it just feels good. We all love to be encouraged. It's fun communication. And it's a vital piece to our growth as disciples. Amen? But did you know accountability and discipline are equally needed? Here's a question I want to empower, with, empower you with this summer. Who are the two or three people you're giving permission to be a jerk to you for Christ's sake? I know I had to put it like that. Who are the two or three people in your life that you're giving permission to be a jerk to you for the sake of Christ? And do they even know they're allowed to? Something like, well, I have this person, that person, the other. They have no clue you've empowered them to be a jerk to you for, for the cause of Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. 
Would you be this summer so bold as to pick two or three brothers or sisters in the faith that you trust and tell them, this summer you have permission to encourage me and hold me accountable? And can I be real with you this morning? Um, I need to address, I'm going to pastor you. I'm going to shepherd you this morning with the rod. <laughs> there are some things that I need to address because I commonly see it, not in our, just in our church, but in churches in general. And I really feel like it's important. You know, when my family decides to have dinner together at the table, we enjoy that dinner together as a family and everyone's presence is important. And typically, if one of my family members is missing... Because I love them, because I notice the lack of their presence, I am going to most likely reach out to them and ask them, hey, I miss you. Where have you been? And if we continue to have dinner and they continue to present an absence, a pattern of absence, again, because I love them, because I have no problems reaching out to them and asking them, where have you been? I miss you. Um, I want you to know that when I do that, this is called love and concern. Can you see where I'm going? Likewise, every Sunday morning in every connect group, the family of God gathers together in a table in which a meal has been prepared for you from the word. Are you with me? A meal has been prepared for you to eat out of every time your connect group meets or every time we come in on a Sunday morning. And again, I'm speaking to the members of this church. For those of you who are just visiting, we love you. We're not going to pester you. But the members of this church that had said, I want to be held accountable. Well, I, I want to walk with Christ at a different level in this church. Will you, will you be a pastor? Will these leaders be leaders that will hold me accountable? Here's what I want you to know. If you ha show a pattern of missing dinner, we're going to say something. Oh, I know you wouldn't like that, so I'm going to come downstairs. If I love you and you're a family member of this church, you come to dinner every week and you start missing dinner, I'm going to reach out to you. And you're going to look at me. You might get a little crazy and angry, but I'm going to say, too bad. That's what love looks like. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You may love me for it or not like me for it, but that's what love looks like because sometimes love isn't just always do what you want. I want you to fall apart. I'm going to go after you, and even if you hide from me, we'll play hide and seek for a little bit. And it happens, please, I don't want, you know, there, I, inevitably, whenever I go hard and on something, there's a few people like, oh, gosh, you're talking to me. And that's great. Let the shoe fit, right? Let the Holy Spirit just convict you. That's great. Praise God. But here's what I do want to say is it happens. It's not just you trust me. It's multiple people, and it just happens. It's part of the human nature. Some of us want to be known, and other of us prefer to hide, right? I know that one was uncomfortable, amen? Okay, moving on. Genuine communication calls us to stop leading shallow, shallow Christian lives and overcome the fear of walking into the deep end of faith and fellowship. Right? Right? There's a, there's, when, you, you, when you swim in the pool, right? When you didn't know how to swim, you were kind of just in your floaties, right? And you were kind of on the shallow end. Then you started to learn how to dog paddle. Anybody learn how to dog paddle first? Right? So you just like a little, right? Just getting over there. 
And then you start to learn to swim. You start to get a little, even dog paddling a little bit into the deeper end, right? And I know that ha- that's how our Christian walk works. But as you grow in your maturity in Christ, I want you to know that there is a deep end of faith and fellowship that Christ is calling you into. And here's the thing, ready for this? Here's the thing, you might be afraid to get hurt again. But can I tell you, that's always a part of the deep end? The deep end is that, can I say, you're guaranteed to get hurt again. So you might ask me then, why do I even go there? Because in order to look like Christ, you have to learn to forgive. And if you're a... If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you are Christ-like. And the only way to develop the forgiveness and the fruit of the Spirit sometimes is to be with some people that may... No, that's, that's, another, well, that's another sermon. Amen. Number three, you ready? Koinonia, and this is the last one, calls us to sacrificial contribution. And if you look up the Greek word koinonia, you'd realize that the depths of the Greek... The English doesn't capture it. Anybody, any of uh, any, you speak a different language in here? You ever like, I don't even want to use the English word because it really don't say what it, you, do you guys, you ever use like, maybe in Spanish, it's just so much deeper. You're like, right? And the English, and the English is just like, right? It's like, and it's just like, no, there's so much more like, there's more to this. Amen? And so it's the same with the Greek. Koinonia is not just fellowship, fellowship hall. And it's, you know, I shouldn't put that. It's great we have those, but I'm saying it's just, it could be a little too churchy sometimes. And so it means a, a, a genuine connection and exchange that's actually going to put yourself out there for the cause of, the Christ, for cause of Christ, right? Uh, and it, it means this genuine connection, this uncommon connection with people that I don't have much in common with. Can I just say something real quick? When I first came back to Christ, I was in my 20s, and I had two options. You know, there was like, there was like friends of me, mine that were participating in things that I knew God was trying to remove me from. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes you got kind of your kind of one foot in, come foot out. You know, the Lord's kind of calling you out of some things, but your friends are still there and you're kind of lonely. And so you just end up going to that direction. And so loneliness is a battle that I fought, right? But what was really important is that Christ started to surround me with a new community of people that were participating in things that I needed to participate in that were going to grow me. And so what ended up happening is I had to make the uncomfortable decision to high five and love my friends. And they were great. And I still connected with them, but there are certain things I couldn't connect with. And so when those times came like Friday night at around 10 (laughs) I remember I had to cultivate another kind of community so that the loneliness uh, wouldn't get the best of me and sometimes it was just prayer in my room crying out to the Lord but there were many times where there are people that young adults that came around me and we did other things right went from the club to playing board games You know, you're like, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a single guy, right? The Lord's doing a lot of my life, but I know what this represents and I'm my heart and my passion, my, my flesh, but I knew that, you know, and so what I did is I began to cultivate uncommon community with a bunch of people that didn't even, I, I probably wouldn't have ever chose them. You know, when you get saved and some of you, you do still connect with people, but there are some people you just hang out with. You're like, you know what, God, I would never chose them. I never hung out with them. I remember hanging out with, a, and I was in my 20s, so I was a shallow thinker, but I remember hanging out with a group, and I was thinking, man, in high school, I would have never been caught with these guys. <laughs> and they probably thought the same thing when they looked at me. But 
The Holy Spirit will cultivate uncommon community and you'll find that your commonalities in Christ will grow you and feed you. And these people will be closest to you than anybody else for the rest of your life. Are you there? All right. So uncommon community, genuine communication. Finally, number three, koinonia calls us to sacrificial contribution. You know, I'm always so blown away by the early church's generosity. Wasn't it really crazy what we saw there? We're told they sold their possessions and distributed the proceeds to those who were in need. I mean, how many of you would sell what you have in order that another brother who was in need would move forward? We just don't do that anymore. Some of you are like, well, that's communism, right? Well, I want you to know, communism will force you to share. Uh, the Holy Spirit, it's just a, a, a spirit of generosity flows, and this is out of love. Are you with me? So I'm blown away by their generosity. And this is kind of my favorite. Not only did they sell all their possessions and they sold their possessions so that other brothers could, uh, who were in need, other brothers and sisters uh, could be taken care of, but they opened their homes and they had dinner with one another. It's one thing to meet in a neutral location. It's a whole nother thing to invite somebody into your space. Are you with me? So... Three characteristics of sacrificial contribution. Are you ready? I'm going to give you three. Three characteristics of sacrificial contribution. Number one, sacrificial contribution is not easy giving, but it's giving that hurts. It's not easy giving, but it's giving that hurts. Now, this can apply to many areas, but you know where I'm going to take this. I'm going to take it to the one area that's going to drive home the point the most this morning. Uh, This can apply to many areas, but nowhere have I seen it more tested than in the area of our wallets and our finances. You know, and even when I mention money, the temptation is like, oh, shoot, (laughs) here we go, right? That's what, see, I, I like that church until you start talking about money, right? But can I just say this? Unfortunately, for many Christians, their wallets is the one place the Holy Spirit is still not allowed to touch. So you could disciple me on all these areas, but don't talk to me about my money. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, what, what, what will be there? Your heart's going to be there too. You see, not only does sacrificial giving, not only does sacrificial giving give you a space to move the mission forward, But are you ready for this? It also helps break the hold this materialistic world has over our lives. When you give financially till it hurts, it breaks the materialistic holds this world has over your life. And for some reason, it tests that fear that you have. Is God really going to take care of me? The early church under the influence of the Holy Spirit was marked not by what they purchased or accumulated, by what they gave away what they gave away can i just say this sacrificial giving is a mode of discipleship in your life number two sacrificial contribution is not an attitude that says what can i get out of it but it's an attitude that says what can i bring to it Woo! Preach to yourself, brother. Can I just preach this morning? Can I, can I preach? Sacrificial attitude, a sacrificial contribution is an attitude that learns to stop saying, uh, well, I don't really get nothing out of that. 
You've been to church for 10, 15, 20 years, and you ain't getting nothing out of it, so you're not going. And my question is, stop trying to get something out of it and start contributing something to it. Woo! Where's a mirror at? I'm going to just speak to myself this morning because I don't want to offend nobody. I, I believe early on in our walk with Christ, we're eager to get and to gain and to accumulate. We want to get as much as we can. And believe me, I hope that never changes. I always want you to want more, get more, accumulate more from the Lord. But I've often heard Christians say, I just don't get anything out of that. You know, connect groups, Pastor Phil, that's just not my thing. You know, I don't really do community. It just doesn't do much for me. My challenge to you is to stop and think about how selfish that sounds. If we're going to represent Christ well, we must change our mindsets from takers to contributors. Our decision to go to connect groups needs to go from what can I get to what can I give. Our decision to serve on serve teams needs to go from what can I get to what can I give. Our decision to reach the lost and build the church needs to grow from what can I get to what can I give. And trust me, I get it. Sometimes we need to take a break. I get it. We need a break. Right? We had like 20 women get pregnant in like three months. Right? And some of you brothers need to take a break too. You're like, oh. Right? Team no sleep? Any team no sleep in here? Sometimes we need to take a break. Can I also be honest? Sometimes you need a season to heal. Sometimes you've been used up. You know, sometimes you've gone to places and you've given it all and you've felt taken advantage of. And you just don't want to do that again. And sometimes you attend a church, you're like, you know, just right now, I just need to sit back and learn how to receive. And I don't want to be used. I got some fears the Lord needs to work on. And can I just say to anybody who knows me personally, I'll be the first one to champion your health. Right. And so I'm not, you know, as I'm throwing daggers out, you know, I'm not trying to just kill everybody in this room here. But generally speaking, we generally speaking, especially in the American culture, uh, uh, Sunday morning church is just that it's Sunday morning. But if you think your spiritual growth and your contribution to the mission only revolves around your Sunday morning attendance, then you might be reading a different Bible than I am. Are you with me? And I want you to hear me out, hear my heart. I say this all the time. I don't want to be a cult, guys. We're not a cult. If you don't want to serve on teams here, I'm not a cult. Are you with me? I'm not a Nazi pastor. I know that's kind of weird, but that's what you say when there's an over-controlling guy that's like, hey, you got to do this, right? I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are free to exercise your freedoms, Okay. I bless you. In fact, I bless you for just showing up on Sunday morning. You know how hard it is to get here? You have kids that don't want to get up. Who knows what you had to wrestle through the night before. Some of you got to put on, you know, you got to put that look on. You got to get good. Some of you know, it takes a couple hours. You got to wake up at five to get that on. Right? And I respect it. I respect the game. I do. You look great. Continue to do it. There's a few people here take a little extra time. All right? Some of you guys don't. <laughs> no, my, su- my suggestion would be maybe just a little earlier. 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's not tough to get here on Sunday mornings, to come up here and sit for 45 minutes to listen to some guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about. Right? I get it. It's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes that's a battle in itself. And so I thank you. I thank you so much for just being here. But when Jamila and I planted Inspired Church with our team, we planted with the heart to activate our members and multiply our leaders so that we can reach the city, we can reach the nations, and we can plant more churches. And because we're a church with that kind of mission, sometimes we're going to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone. And there are other churches in the area that you can go to and sit and receive, and that's great, and I'll, I'll send you there. But if you're going to become a part of this body of Christ, I'm going to ask that you would contribute to the mission the best way you can because people are dying. Christ is coming back. The enemy knows his time is limited, and the Bay Area needs churches that will light up this base. And the Bay Area needs people that won't just look at their pastors and say, well, you do all the ministry. We'll just come. We, we, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Sunday morning should be an empowering in which you go out and you be the church every other day of the week. We, for some reason, we call this church right now. Isn't that crazy? But I want you to know this is an empowering moment to empower you to go and what? Be the church six days of the week. And if we did that, imagine the kind of gospel presence and love we could bring to this, to this community. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Last thing about sacrificial contribution, and I want to invite the worship team. Sacrificial contribution is not one time or some time, but it's a lifelong practice of consistent commitment. I'm going to say that again because I know the team's coming up and we're just, you know, Sacrificial contribution, are you ready for this? Is not one time or sometime, but it's a lifelong practice of consistent commitment. That means that whenever you serve, that means whenever you work for the kingdom of God, there are going to be more low moments than high moments. There are going to be moments that are more less exciting moments than moments that are exciting but your commitment to Christ is not predicated on how exciting the moment is. It's predicated on building the kingdom of God in the high and the low, right? The exciting and the mundane. And my prayer is that we would raise up leaders and members and we'd multiply them over and over. Churches across the Bay Area, churches across wherever the Lord takes us next. Um, that would be committed to that kind of gospel mission. Amen. Um, I'm going to finish with this. Any baseball players in the building? No? Two? Okay, this, three, this may not work then. <clears throat> I imagine in my mind like 20 hands going up, but, you know, that's just, it never works that way. I got a baseball glove for um, pastor's appreciation along with some other things. Uh, the glove that I loved, uh, she got taken away from me. She was stolen. Um, in my car, somebody just bashed the window in and took it. And for those of you that play baseball, you know that the glove that you keep and you play with, right? It's fit perfectly. It's sized perfectly. Um, it's been with you forever and it's, it's in the glove you trust. Yeah. 
Uh, and so when you get a new glove, you're excited to get a new glove. You're saddened because you lost the old glove. But how many of you guys know that when you get a new glove, you just can't take it out and start playing with it? But you know that? You know that when it comes from the factory, as amazing as a glove that this is, uh, it is stiff. Uh, it's inflexible. Uh, the pocket is not, um, the pocket is not um, fitted to your hand. And so if you were to play a game with the glove right out of factory, or if you were to play catch, you'll recognize that you don't have the ability to control the catch and that most likely, most times than not, the ball is going to fall out of your hand. Are you with me? And so what you need to do is break the glove in, right? You need to break it in. And, and so there are different ways that you can break the glove in. And one of the ways is, um, well, first of all, the first thing you should do is you should find some oil, right? And what you do is you want to just oil the glove up. You could use warm water um, and you could use a particular type of oil. And you want to, and what they do is you want to oil the glove in all the catch areas. You want to oil the glove in some of the areas where it's kind of stiff and hard because the oil is a preparation because you're about to break it in. And so once you oil the glove up, then what they're told is, you, you know, and this is going to seem a little primitive, but you actually get a mallet and you just hit the glove. And you, you, you first thing you want to do is you want to hit it in the pocket. Hit it in the pocket. What you're doing is you're loosening it up and you're creating a, a space and a flexibility so that you can catch the ball, right? And a lot of times, other areas of the glove on the outside are real stiff, and so you, you want to hit that part as well. I know it looks like I'm ruining the glove, doesn't it? But I'm actually not. I'm breaking the glove in, and I'm making it better, right? And so for me, it depends on what kind of player you are, but I like my glove to be broken in all the way around. And so I'll go to the other side, and I'm going to hit, and I know you're thinking, that's an expensive glove. They got that for Pastor's Day. Don't mess it up. But this is is not messing my glove up. Are you with me? And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get this glove game ready. I'm trying to get it game ready because I don't want to go in the game with a stiff glove because I'm going to be that guy. People look at me like that guy never played baseball before. And I want to make sure that when the ball's hit to me and my team is dependent on me, I want to make sure that I catch that ball. I want to make sure that I get that out. Are you with me? And so you oil the glove. But then, that's not everything. After you've oiled the glove, you get a ball usually. And so I know I'm going to play softball because I'm too old and out of shape to play baseball anymore. Um, for all you softball players, I apologize. And what you would do is you take the softball, you put it inside your glove, and you take a rope, and you bind the glove together. Yeah? You bind the glove together. And ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to let it sit and we're almost finished. And you're going to let it sit for a couple of days overnight. What you're doing is you're trying to create this pocket so that the glove can be broken in. Amen? And, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize anything, but I just couldn't help but do it this time. Um, I couldn't help but think of the glove like a heart. And the scripture tells us that our heart is hard. Scripture tells us that our heart could be wicked. Our scripture says, the scripture even tells us sometimes we can have hearts of stone. And so what can we do as sinful people with hard hearts? The world has hardened your heart. People have hurt you, have wounded you. You come in inflexible. You come in unable to perform the way that you were created to perform. Well, Scripture says you need to break it in. Yeah. 
And so the question becomes, how do we break it in? What do I do this summer to take this rock-hard heart? What do I do this summer to take this heart that's inflexible to community, to take this heart that's inflexible to serving? There's certain things inside of me, my sin nature, that just keeps me from doing what God has wanted me. Well, the, question, the, the answer is you break it in. And so this summer is all about breaking it in. And as I was thinking about the oil, the oil is a preparation. The oil isn't the actual breaking in, but you begin to prepare it. So when the breaking in happens, it's able to flex. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? The early church, they prayed. They prayed. How do you break in a hard heart? How do you humble a hard heart? You bring that heart to a place of prayer. And so this summer, I want to inspire you to pray. Some of you say, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. Can I tell you something we're going to do? Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, we're almost finished. You guys are doing really good. I told you a couple of weeks ago um, that you could tell what a church loves, where their budget and their calendar are. And I told you kids ministry, the money you spend, you can say you're about kids ministry, but if you're spending money there, then you know a church is about kids ministry. And I realized that one of the things we were going to do this summer is we were going to stop our prayer nights. It's summer. People need a break. We stopped our connect groups. And also we're going to save money. I want you to know being a portable church is expensive. We got to rent out this place every time. And you know, and I told myself, you know, prayer is a little bit more important than that. And and our people need to break in prayer this summer. I think there's still a lot of you in here that need to learn to pray. And sometimes you can't do it on your own. And so we create a space once a month at the end of each month to come in and to pray together as a family. And so you know what? Despite whatever it costs, we're going to continue to have our prayer nights because I believe that we need the oil to break our hearts in. And the second thing is, the second thing is that the mallet, the mallet softens this thing up. And I just started thinking about it. You know, we're going to break in the word. If you want to soften a hard heart, it's nothing like the mallet of the word of God to come up against all of your disobedience, all of your rebellion. And there's nothing like the mallet of the word of God that speaks and it just calls you into greater obedience. And I'm saying every time you study your word in the summer, every time you come to a service and you're into the word, the mallet of the word is just hitting against the hardness of your heart and you're being softened without even knowing it. And finally, and, and, and really appropriately, I love, I love that the rope kind of binds everything together and I want to tell you that not only do you want to continue to break in prayer this summer not only do you want to break in the study of the word to soften the heart but you also want to bind yourself together with other believers because you will not survive this Christian walk until you partner with other believers amen amen and so I want to challenge you in uh I'll use this final example. Um, when I think about all of our connect groups, right? We have a connect group that meets in Mountain House. We have a connect group that meets in San Jose. We have connect groups that meet in Newark, San Lorenzo, Fremont, Union City, Hayward, right? We have about seven different connect groups. And when I think about each connect group, I think about all the beauty of their own personalities. Right? So one connect group you go and like, well, that connect group's like a little bit younger. The vibe there's a little bit younger. And we don't do that on purpose, but that's just how it went, right? You go to another connect group, like that connect group gets down in prayer. Like they get down in prayer. Like we'll hear the word or whatnot, but man, we'll go at it in prayer. You go to another connect group and there's just all these different spices of life throughout the connect groups. And when I think about Union City, I think about a connect group that has developed this real deep commitment to friendship and community. And I love what they're doing is they're, we're stopping connect groups, but they're like, we're not going to stop. And so, and I'm not doing this to, to boast. I'm just saying what they're doing is they're continuing their connect group 
because they realize that in the summer they're going to need to still break in community and I know there are some connect groups here that might do the same but I want to challenge you this summer leaders members connect group leaders I challenge you this summer will you keep the consistency of your community together and will you just pledge just to be a little bit more connected as summer occurs Maybe you go camping together. Well, just we develop some friendships. We do some things together in the summer that will continue to break our hearts in. Amen. I know we've been here a little bit extra longer, but can I just pray over you this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I just thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for the different personalities. I thank you that there are a lot of people that don't have anything in common, yet because of our commonalities in Christ, this church will flourish. Bless the community of this church like never before. Bless every person in this building. May you speak to them, Holy Spirit. I thank you so much. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and sing. But God bless you guys. You guys are, you guys are dismissed. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.